Good morning. Pastor Rob, welcome to our 9 o'clock service this morning. We have been in for a couple weeks, a series, and in, in that video kind of uh, introduced it, on the character of God. It's a big uh, subject. Who is God, the character of God, and what difference does it make, his characteristics in our lives? This morning, I'm going to talk, the, the message is about God's self-sufficiency, God's self-sufficiency, or otherwise said, the God of infinite provision, right? Because God needs nothing from us, right? Uh, he offers everything to us. The God of infinite provision. Passage we'll look at briefly. If you have a copy of the Bible, open up to the book of Acts, right in the middle of your New Testament, uh, right after the four Gospels, or if you're on your phone, the book of Acts, chapter 17. And we'll just look at a couple verses in the middle of a long sermon from the Apostle Paul, Acts 17, verses 24 through 28. Acts 17, 24 through 28. The God of infinite provision. Follow along as I read. The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not very far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now this is, I say, just a few verses of um, the Apostle Paul, his journeys, you know, throughout the, um, the ancient Near East, you know, the, the sort of the Middle East, what we call the Middle East today, and Turkey, even into Western Europe. And this is where he gets to Western Europe. And when he gets to Western Europe, we're in the city of Athens, if you read this whole uh, sermon. It's actually his longest sermon, and he's speaking to, again, we didn't read the whole thing, but if you, if you took the time to do that, he's speaking to this group of people called the Areopagists, mentioned here. And the Areopagists were kind of like the ruling council in the city of Athens. It was one of the most important cities in the ancient world. You know, we call it Western civilization. Much of what we uh, would think of today as our sort of, you know, deposit of uh, understanding in the, uh, of, of, our, of the culture that we live in, Western civilization really was born out of this part of the world. It's not only one of the most important cities, but it was the one intellectual centers of the ancient world. We didn't read it, but it, it says in this passage a little earlier that, you know, the Athenians, all the Athenians, verse 21, and the foreigners, right, it was a place where people came in, like a New York City, who lived there, spent their time doing nothing but talking about this uh, idea and listening to the latest ideas, right? There was people who had leisure, probably had money, and there was a certain sort of, you know, uh, intelligentsia, you might say, who got together, and they were, be, they were able to get around and talk about philosophical ideas. 
And they invited the Apostle Paul to come and speak to this community because Paul, as he made his way up through, you know, what we call uh, the ancient Near East, through the Israel and in Syria and into Turkey, and he made his way into Western Europe, there was, a, he, there was a reputation that he had, right? He had started churches. Paul was speaking about strange gods. That's what they thought anyway, about someone rising from the dead. And they wanted to hear from Paul. So he does that here in city of Athens. Now, it is also, if you were to take time to read the whole back, it's his longest um, sermon, at least recorded in, in, the, in the New Testament. And uh, we didn't, again, I didn't read it all, but part of the reason it's the longest sermon, think about this because this has some relevance for us, is because as the Apostle Paul made his way out of, let's say, you know, Israel and the, the Middle East and into Western Europe, his, the background information uh, that people had, they, could, they no longer had, right? When Paul was in, in Jerusalem, when Paul was in Galilee, when Paul was in Syria, when Paul was even in parts of Turkey or where he was from, southern Turkey, this Paul was from, Tarsus, he could sit there, even if people were far from God and they, and they were not, let's say, Christians yet, they weren't even faithful Jews yet, Paul could open up his talk and say, listen, Moses said, and, you know, David said, and Abraham said, Paul, people had a background of the Old Testament, which was Jesus' Bible, Paul's Bible, right? But by the time Paul got to this part of the world, you know, again, I see not too different from our own, uh, the people had no formal background in religion at all. It was largely paganism, right? We say today, I think, uh, uh, in, in, the, in the, the census that was done in 2015, that um, uh, tw over 25% of the people that checked the census, some of you might have done it, or hopefully you did do it, uh, and over 30%, close to 35 of people that are under 35 years of age, they checked none on the census, which means they have no religious affiliation. In essence, outside of local deities and self-made gods, that's what the, we call idolatry, that's what this whole culture was. They were all, they had no formal religious background, so Paul's sermon was a long one, and he had to explain the God of the Bible to a culture that knew only the gods of their own making, right? That's what we're talking about here. We got earlier in the passage, Paul said, listen, I, was, I walked around the city of Athens for the very, it sounds like the very first time in his life he'd ever been there, and he said, man, I've never seen so many gods, idols, all over the city. I mean, there were, there were, con there were you know, gods for the, you know, for, for the crops and gods for the marketplace and gods for this street and that street and this neighborhood and that neighborhood. He said there was just this plethora of gods. He even found one that said, to the unknown God. They kind of run out of names, apparently, right, in, in this culture. But think about what would it mean to explain the Bible, to explain the God of the Bible, to a culture that only knows a God of their own making. But one thing was true. It's important for us. I think of the very gods that were found in Athens. Maybe there were hundreds of them. One important characteristic was true of all of them, and that was these gods needed to be appeased or they needed to be satisfied by something you do for them, okay? Think about that. They needed to, in other words, their view on God, whether it was, you know, whatever name it was, whatever geography it was, it was, it was near, whatever, whatever area it was protecting, right? The, the, your home, your job, the military, the, you know, the, the crops, whatever the case may be, the mentality was the same across the board, that these gods had demands, and what you offered, what you would call worship, maybe what we call this today, a worship service, you brought your offering, you brought your, yourself, you brought your 
your money. You brought your gift to appease the gods. In a sense, gods had needs, gods had demands, and if you wanted favor in your life, you needed to bring something, okay? Now think about that. Most of us in our culture, whether you're, you know, those of us who are in church today and those of us who aren't, we don't, for the most part, you know, worship these little idols on our mantles at home. But our vision of God, I think for many of us, isn't too much different. I think a lot of people aren't in a church today because they say, listen, I got enough things to carry around. I got enough burdens in my life, and I don't need a God who's just looking for a, an extra pound of flesh from me. No, thank you, right? Well, that's what this whole culture was like. But what Paul wants to say, it's God of self-sufficiency, right? The God who made the world and everything in it, my first point, he's saying, listen, God does not need us or anything from us. Let me tell you something about the true God, the God who created all things. We talked about him last week, who created everything in the world, who sustains everything in the world, and he created you. There's only one God, is what Paul is saying. And this God, think about this, is, think of how radical it would be when he's talking to this community that no matter, even though there was a plethora of gods, right, it was polytheistic, one thing was true of every one of these people who he calls in verse 22 a very religious group, that is on this idolatry, that God doesn't need anything from you, right? God doesn't need anything, uh, doesn't need us or need anything from us. And in this way, Think about your life. God is nothing like us in this way, right? Our lives are defined by needs, right? Physical needs, emotional needs, right? Um, spiritual needs. Our lives are, we are thinking consciously or unconsciously most minutes of most days about our needs and getting our needs met, right? From the people that we love, from, from our bosses, from uh, the world around us. In this way, right? The God who made the world and everything in it is not built by temples made by human hands, right? And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Now, this could sound like bad news, right? God doesn't need you or anything you have to offer him. But it's actually good news because if God actually needed something from you or needed something from me, we would almost for certain let him down, right? Even the smartest people in this room, even the most well-put-together people in this room, even the most well-bred people in this room, you would most likely, I would most likely eventually let him down, right? And this is why a lot of people, I think, are not in church today because that's what they think God is about. But let me say this. The God of, inf you know, the God of who is self-sufficient. The God of infinite provision. His plans do not rely on your faithfulness. His joy is not dependent on your performance. Here's the big idea. God is not dependent on us. The absolute reverse is true. We are completely and totally dependent on him, right? This is the basic 101 that Paul's trying to say to this community. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we easily forget that, you and I forget that, that we are totally independent on God for every area of our lives. We easily forget that until your plane goes down, right? 
And then when your plane goes down, isn't it amazing? Just like flight 1380 on Tuesday, if you read the articles. In that plane, there were doctors, there were lawyers, there were firemen, there were pastors, there were nurses, there were school teachers. And when your plane goes down, this truth is lived out for every single person. Tim Bowman said that he could not figure out how to use his mask and decided it would not save him if the plane crashed. Instead, he sat and prayed as his wife Amanda managed to connect her phone to the plane's Wi-Fi. They began texting Tim's dad to tell him what had happened and to convey a message to the couple's three daughters, six, four, and two. Pray. Plane blew an engine. We're going to try to land. Tell the girls we love them and that Jesus is with them always. Across from the blown-out window, Sherry Sears, 43, thought about her 11-year-old daughter, Ty Lee. Mrs. Sears' own father had died when she was seven, and she kept thinking to herself, I'm not going to be there for her. Miss Sears said she offered a thin prayer for mercy. If this is your will, God, please let me go quickly. Don't let me suffer, right? God does not need us or anything from us. We need him, right? We need him. Do you believe that, right? Do I believe that even when your plane's not going down? Second point in this, in this uh, passage, God cannot be controlled or manipulated, right? God cannot be controlled or manipulated. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built. He's not, a cre he's not your creation, right? That's what he's saying. He's not, he's not your best idea. See, here's what we do, whether you're formerly religious or, you're, you know, or you're, you have sort of your own street religion. We create gods that are sort of the, the, the totem or the expression of our needs, right? What we most need, whether it's money or, or, or relationships or security, whatever the case may be. So listen, God is not, you know, created by you. He does not live in temples built by your hands or your imagination. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Now, this cuts to the heart of what's wrong with the way I'd say the world sees God, but many of us do as well. God not... Can, God, God cannot be controlled or manipulated by you or me or by our religion, right? Which is what's going on here. What we do or what we give to him, right? Whether that is our money, our time, being here this morning. You know, Jason talked about serving. I think it's great. We, this church couldn't survive without people serving in family ministry, people going out into the city and doing amazing things in the you know, through the ministry of this church. But let me tell you something. If you do that to gain God's favor or to, get, to, to, do, to, to gain God's approval, your worship is empty. You've missed the point, right? We do it out of gratitude for God, what he's done for us. Look, look at one passage, the Old Testament, uh, Psalm chapter 50. You can turn there or listen. Psalm 50, verses 7 through 15. Written to the Old Testament people of God, but every bit as uh, applicable to you and me in the church today. Listen, my people, Psalm 50, verse 7, and I will speak. 
May the Lord speaking. I will testify against you, Israel, or church. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against, your, against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal in the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? The sacrifices they would bring in this system. Sacrifice, rather, thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Right? What is he saying in this passage? He says, so first of all, I have no issue with what you're bringing me. Right? That's the first thing he wants to say. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. See, listen, I don't, gotta, I don't wanna pick a bone with you. I'm not gonna say, I, I, I'm not gonna criticize your sacrifices. You're doing what the system, the Jewish system required. You're bringing your bulls, you're bringing your rams from your stalls, you're exercising your worship. I got no issue with that. My issue isn't with what you're bringing. My issue is you're bringing them for the wrong reason. Right? That's what he's saying. He said, listen, you think you're bringing them to satisfy some need that I have. You think you're bringing them so that you are doing some. It's sort of some quid pro quo. Let me give you my best. Let me come to church on Sunday. Let me throw my money in the thing. Let me serve the city. Let me support missionaries. Let me show you my honor badges. Let me do something so, God, I can meet some demand, meet so I can satisfy your desires for my life. I can I gain your approval, right? That's what I'm doing. I'm going to meet some need in your life, right? How arrogant of us so that you can give me some favor, right? I got no issues with what you're doing, but your reasons are wrong, right? If I were hungry, I would not tell you, right? Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? He's really, really cutting to the core of a system that was, you know, hundreds of years old. He's saying, do you guys not get it? Do you actually think the God who created the world actually sits down? Because they would have, um, they had not only um, animal offerings, they had food offerings, they had drink offerings, if you know your Old Testament uh, system, right? There were all kinds of offerings, fellowship offerings, food and meal that ultimately the priests ate, Okay some of them, and some of them were burnt completely on the altar as an act of worship. He's saying, listen, do you actually think that I, the God of the universe, that I sit down in some, in some way with a fork or in a spoon and I take what you give me and it satisfies something in me? It completes me? Of course not. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the work, can you imagine? I'm Danny Wegman, Okay. Imagine that for a minute, all right? And, you know, I come, I, I, he lives in Pittsburgh, right, or somewhere, I don't know. I come knocking on your door, right? And I say, gee, can I borrow some sugar? Can I bar have a loaf of bread? Might I have a quart of milk? Okay, now that's, this is a much more extreme example, right? But he's saying, listen, if I was hungry, can you imagine? I want to be, I'd love to see that. 
Danny, isn't that you? You know, <laughs> do you not have any sugar at your house? You know, uh, this is what God is saying. Okay, this is what He's saying here. I have no need for the bulls in your stalls. It's not an animal God wants. It's you. Okay, that's what He's talking about. It's you. And when you offer your service, when you come to church here this morning, when you give your money, when you give your time, when you give your service, it ought to be, this is the question, is it some kind of control manipulation thing you got going on? It ought to be done out of gratitude for what God has done for you if you understand the gospel. It's completely done out of gratitude not to earn his favor. Look how the passage ends. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and goats or drink the blood of goats or eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? It's a rhetorical question. Of course not. It's not for me. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. That's what your worship is. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. We had a, we did it. We, Jason mentioned the capital campaign, Reach Initiative. We did, um, we started this in the, in the fall of 2016. Okay, some of you remember that, and many of you are, are, are it's, the only reason we're spending these millions of dollars is because you've, 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 you've thrown your head in, you've, you've put your heart in, you've given your, your time and your money. Couldn't do it without you. But we started this, I'd never, as a pastor, never done this before, that is, uh, be a part of a capital campaign. We had, we had a uh, consultant Nice guy. Uh, his name is Tom. He's been doing this for 20 years. And before the 20 years of being a consultant, campaign consultant, he was a pastor, both a senior pastor and executive pastor in, uh, in Texas. And Tom said this to me. It's one of these things, one of the very first things he said to me, he said, Rob, this is what it's all about. This is what you need to know uh, for yourself and your congregation that's, a, that, that's at the heart of this whole thing. Giving is not, is, excuse me, giving is what God wants for you not what he needs from you, right? Giving is what God wants uh, 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 for you, right? Not what God needs from you. That simple statement, right? Now, now Tom was talking about money, right? Saying, listen, yes, you need money. Yes, you're in the business of raising money. But when we give to God, right, it's really what God wants for you. It's for you. And I'll tell you, I, when I first heard that, I thought, well, it's just so... I went kind of in one ear and out the other. It sounded like consultant speak, and I, it wasn't like I was critical, but I thought, okay, I get it. Giving is what God wants for you, not what he needs from you, until this pastor sat down, I'll never forget it, in December of 2016, and looked over 400 and something cards. And I didn't know all 400 of those people, those couples or families, but I knew many of them, many of them just because I guessed I know kind of their income bracket, just guessing, right? And I know what many who made even less money than I made that gave unbelievable amounts of money. And then I sat down and talked with some of those people, and I thought, and I saw the, the joy and the peace. And just, you know, just, just uh, a couple months ago, I sat down when we were getting ready to, to borrow some money to do this work, with some of the top donors, uh, a handful, maybe 20 of them, just kind of giving them an update and said, you know, we're going to borrow some money. We're going to try to, we'd really like to try to do, as, to, to borrow as little as possible to not put the church in, in, in debt. 
and many of them said, listen, if you need more, let me know. Okay? Giving is not, is what God wants for you, not from you. This pastor, okay, when I started, even Tom said to me, Rob, you got to get in the game. Okay? It's important. And I thought, this is the biggest thing I'm ever going to do, and I had this number in my mind. What I ended up with was almost three times and, and, and let me tell you something. What it has done in my life, I'm just talking about money. Now, the principle, giving is what God wants for you, is not really about money. It's really about your whole life, right? Romans 12, listen to this verse. This is the principle at the heart of this. God cannot be manipulated or controlled. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, right? We sang about that. Because of what God has done for you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, it's not just your money. It's, you want to really know where the joy of the Lord, you want to know the peace that we long for? It's about giving to God out of gratitude of what he's done for you. Offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, right? Which is God can be manipulated or controlled but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve God's will for your life, what's good and pleasing, right? If more of us lived this way, okay, our, our faith is not about manipulation and control. It's about realizing what God has done for you. Sacrifice, thank offerings to God. Giving is what God wants for you. If more of us lived this way, the God of infinite provision. We'd have more money and more service man hours than we would know what to do with it, right? Because of what God has done for us. Finally, in this passage, your needs are the express lane to the experience of God's, the love and the power of God. Verse 25, back to Acts. Your needs are the express lane to the experiencing the love and the power of God. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Now, we talk about the God of who is self-sufficient, right? God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need any. He doesn't really need you or anything you have to offer him. That's true. So, and because God has no needs, he cannot be manipulated or controlled. That's one of the, the, the great things about it. However, let me say this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God the Son, who came in human flesh, right, to show us, and not only to reveal to us who God is, not only to accomplish our salvation, but also, as a human being, to show us who he calls in the New Testament brothers and sisters. He calls us his brothers and sisters, Jesus. He wants to show us what it means to walk with God. Now, Jesus, as fully God and fully man, he experienced the full range of human need, right? Food, water, shelter, daily strength and encouragement. Right? If this is true of Jesus, it said this, Hebrews, uh, I can't remember, chapter 4, maybe it says, listen, Jesus was tempted in every way. Every way. 
Did Jesus have needs? Not just physical needs, emotional needs. I mean, you name it, right? What did he say on the cross? I thirst. In that word, right, was a, was a, was a, was a mountain of, of, of truth that illustrated who he was. But he said this, I, he lived his life, not in the foxhole, not on the airplane going down, but his whole life he lived in total dependence on God. I always do. He says, I look, John 5, and always depend on the Father. I look to the Father for all my needs. Listen, if that was true, this is how we get it wrong. If that was true for Jesus Christ, God the Son, if he lived in total dependence on God, if he looked at his Father as the person who didn't have any needs but who could meet all his needs, ought that not to be true for you and me, right? Your needs, my needs, are the express lane to God. However, right, in our self-sufficiency, many of us live like we don't have any needs. And because of our pride or our distorted view of God, which is the point of this series, we do not rely on God and we deny our daily need for him. Now, how do I know if that's true? How do you know if that's true? How do you apply this message? Let me just close by going over a few things. Mentioning a few things that might be indicators in your life that you are self-sufficient or you think you are and that you're denying your need for God. A couple things. Number one, just think of, I'm gonna go over these quickly. You think about what might apply to you. Prayerlessness, right? Prayerlessness. This happens when you fooled yourself into thinking that you are your own provider, right? You take very little time to pray until your plane goes down, right? Which is a sad commentary on your spiritual life or mine. Second, anger and difficulty or disappointment, right? When difficulty or disappointment force us to face our limits, we get angry because of an exposed need in our lives. We see it, this, this anger, this, this disappointment, and the anger that results as a verdict on our weakness instead of an opportunity to rely on God. Third, a lack of conviction of sin, right? Our pride blinds us to our daily need for forgiveness and instead, instead of experiencing God's grace, right? Our needs are an express lane to the love and power of God. That's the whole point, right? Instead, we settle for self-condemnation. You know, I, this good friend of mine, I just uh, uh, hung out with her and some friends a couple weeks ago, and she told me this story. Recent, she was invited to this funeral of a friend of a friend. She didn't really know the family, though it was a friend of a friend. And she goes to this funeral, and the guy who died apparently uh, was a lifelong on-and-off alcoholic. And, and, uh, but she went with her friends. She went to this service, and she said it was just, it was so interesting. It was like, you know, she imagined. Uh, uh, it was just a, uh, it was almost like a big, huge AA meeting. That's the kind of way she described it. And she said it was just a really interesting service. But she said, but at the end of the service, after a lot of people, you know, said a few words about the, the, the guy who had died, she said the pastor got up there and in a very, very simple, no-nonsense way, shared the gospel message. I don't know what your background is. Jesus loves you and shared the gospel message in a simple way. And then the pastor did something I've never seen. And this person, my friend, has been a Christian her whole adult life. 
okay? It's my age. And she said, he did something I've never seen in a church. She said, Any, does anybody, anyone here that wants to receive this message of God's grace, who wants to become a Christian today, he said, I want you to raise your hand. She said, but no, didn't say bow your head, didn't say close your eyes, just, just raise your hand. And she said, I looked around, and she said, every hand in the room went up, right? Every hand in the room went up. And she said, when she walked out of there, she said to the woman she came with, she said, you know what? I've been in church my whole life. I've never felt more at home than I did in that moment, right? right? A lack of conviction of sin, right? Our needs are an express lane to the power and love. How about avoidance of community, right? Why do we avoid community? Because we don't believe we have a need, so we don't make places for it. Or a lack of humility, right? A lack of humility. A growing self-reliance leads to an inability to even ask for help from God or others. And lastly, maybe this is your story, exhaustion, right? These are signs, marks of our self-sufficiency. Our refusal to ask for help except when the wheels are falling off your life, which leads to a constant state of anxiety and weariness. So here's why I want you to close. I want you to think about your own life, the God of infinite provision. At this particular moment in your life, while we look at this verse of Scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and my God will meet not some of your needs, all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, right? God doesn't need you or me. He doesn't need anything from us. He cannot be manipulated or controlled, but he loves you. He desperately wants to meet your needs. What does it say in the, the end of those verses we read next? For it is in him. Some people think, well, God's way off somewhere and, you know, he just kind of looks over the balcony once in a while. And, and No, in him we live and move and have our being and he is not very far from every one of us. Let me tell you something, whether it's you or me or the most, you know, contrary uncle or friend or enemy you have, God is as close as your very breath. But do you believe that? Do you recognize that? And do you respond, right? He will meet all your needs through his riches in Christ Jesus. But you've got to ask for it. Got to ask for it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for everyone in this room. Lord, only you know uh, where people walked in this morning whether they're longtime Christians, not Christians, whether they're people like me who, who Lord, don't always trust you, uh, whose pride gets in the way, whose, whose um, self-sufficiency uh, gets in the way of you, Lord, meeting needs in my life. Help us to have a clearer vision, a little clearer today of who you are, a God who has no needs, but has um, tremendous resources of love and power to come into our lives wherever we need you, that we might experience your power, we might experience your love, we might know your deliverance, 
and no true joy. And I just pray, Lord, for every person in this room. Lord, you know the needs. Help us, Lord, to, um, to confess our pride, to confess our self-sufficiency, to get real, eyes uh, wide open, and to invite you into a deeper uh, part of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.